So it doesn't mean that there's no Rosh Hashanah. Yes, it means it's going to be a very different Rosh Hashanah. But somehow we have to dig deep. We find a while being able to have the experience of the Chag, of the, of the Yontif, even if we don't have the external paraphernalia. And as we found last year when we had the Pesach without Shul, and we sort of had to find a way of making the Seder and the, and the Dabi meaningful, this year even more so, to have Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur in particular, where it's going to be a day where one of the things that helps us get through the fast is the Dabi. And now we don't have the Dabi, we don't have the singing, we don't have the communal experience, we don't have the Konnichiwa Rosh and everything else, and, and, and now we're going to have to try to do it in a way that we haven't done it before. Um, I went earlier this week with uh, the girls and uh, my father-in-law to Yad Vashem. And one of the moving parts of, for me has always been through going to Yad Vashem is re- reading the stories of those who managed to maintain their Judaism throughout all the travails that they went through. And, and that idea that just because you are in a ghetto or just because you are in a camp and you, you don't have everything else you normally have, there were people who still did Yontem. Your people, my mother, my grandmother, or tomorrow's grandmother, this after, you know, fasted on Yom Kippur, didn't eat chametz on Pesach, despite everything. And that's where, you know, the core of our Judaism is to be found. When we can rely on the externalities and the superficialities of, um, of, of the, the superficialities and externalities, it allows us to hide from having to feel the real experience. So albeit that this is not an ideal situation to be in, nevertheless it gives us an opportunity to sort of dig deep and try to figure out what the meaning of the day is. So what we're going to deal with uh, this evening is talking specifically about the shofar and the experience of the shofar, which hopefully you'll be able to hear in some form or another. And tomorrow night we'll deal with a, a, a different thing. So I'm going to share my screen now. Share my screen. So the shofar is, uh, you know, has become part of, you know, the ritualistic part of Rosh Hashanah. Um, that for many of us, it just becomes hearing hearing a trumpet blast. The meaning behind the shofar is something that we we might know a little bit about what it means, but there's a big difference between what it's supposed to mean and what it actually does. So, for example, we say Shema. So, what is the Shema? So, the Shema is not a the Shema is a declaration of faith and commitment to one's Jewish uh, belief, to Jewish life, and to our shame and fidelity that we have towards being Jewish. And so when we say Shema Yisrael, Shem Hashem, Hashem Echad, there are two elements to the mitzvah. One element is what we call the Echiyuv mitzvah, the obligation, and that is to recite the words in the Shema. And most people do that. They say Shema, whether they say just the first line, or the first chapter, or three paragraphs. So they fulfill the mitzvah. But then there's something called the Kiyuma Mitzvah. The Kiyuma Mitzvah means the fulfillment of the Mitzvah, which is, why was this Mitzvah given to us? What is the goal of this Mitzvah? And the goal of the Mitzvah is not to say the words. The goal of the Mitzvah is to feel a deep yearning of being proud to be Jewish, of being committed to the, the Jewish mission, and, 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 and declaring it to the world. So you can do the act without having the feeling. And this, you fulfill the Mitzvah, but not in a sense of the word. So what you have to do is you have every, most mitzvot have this idea of the, the maisa mitzvah, the, the act itself, the obligation, do what you need to do. And then there's the kiyuma mitzvah, of what are you supposed to achieve through this act. So the shofar is no different. The goal of the shofar is not to blow a shofar or to hear a shofar. 
That might be the, the, the external physical act, but there needs to be more than just the just the hearing of the notes. Just say, and the Gemara deals with this, this question. Just say you wake up one morning, you don't know what day of the week it is, and you just go have a blows on the shofar for, I don't know, you like the sound of the shofar. And then someone comes to you and says, oh, you, you're fulfilling the, the mitzvah of shofar. And you say, no, I'm just blowing the shofar. Why, is today Rosh Hashanah? They say, yes, it is Rosh Hashanah. So did you fulfill the mitzvah of, uh, of blowing the shofar or hearing the shofar? So the answer is no. They didn't fulfill. You have to at least know that you know, that it is a shofar, that it's Rosh Hashanah today and there's a mitzvah to shofar. And that's what we call mitzvah tzuchot kavana. You need to have a base understanding that what I'm doing is mitzvah. So that's number one. So so let's go through the mitzvah shofar. So here in Bamidvah, we will read, we just read this a few weeks back, Pasha Tiktas. It says as follows, on the seventh month. So, you know, Judaism is quite interesting. So if you think about it in Australia, you have the financial year end, which is June 30th. But the, uh, say the, the real year end is December 31st. So in Judaism, you also have multiple year ends. So the, like the difference is, the year starts in Tishra. That's now. So we're going to go from 5781 uh, five, uh, five, to 5782 on Rosh Hashanah. But the month, the first month of the year isn't Tishra. The first month of the year is Nisan, which is the Kesach time. So B'chodesh Hashri, so the seventh month, which is Tishrei, Be'chad L'chodesh, on the first day of the month, Mikra Kodesh Yelachet. It is a holy day. Kol Melechad Avdolotrasu, you're not allowed to do any activities, any Melacha. Yom Teru'ah Yelachet. It will be a day of Teru'ah. So you'll be familiar with Teru'ah when David Glazer calls out Teru'ah, Shari Teru'ah. So it's a day of Teru'ah. The word Teru'ah is to, to blow, to blow of sounding the Shofar. Now, shofar, the word tru'ah, you'll notice that when we, when we call out the notes, there are a number of notes that are called out. There's tikiyah, shvarim, and tru'ah. So this comes from another verse in Tehillim, which is a psalm of the day on Thursdays. It says, we ask you say it, if you're in the middle of the service, on, uh, so like every Friday night, we sing the Shabbat B'nai Yisrael just before we start the Amidah. And on Pesach Shabbat Sukkot, we say, the very Moshe, and on Rosh Hashanah, we do this verse. Blow on the horn of the new moon, the full moon of our feast day. Okay, so that is tiku um, as opposed to tu'ah. So we see the shofar being used in two contexts. There's something called a tikiyah or tiku, and there's something called a tu'ah. We also have something called a shvarim. So what is exactly is the shvarim? So this is uh, something that is discussed in the Gemara, and the answer is we don't actually know. So I've got a quote here in the name of the Rambam, exactly what. So it says, "Trua ze'avurava Torah." So the Torah talks about this trua. Nisafek lamu ba'asafek lefiyorav hasheni ba'rova galiot ve'enan yodim hayachi. But what has happened through the passage of time is we've sort of forgotten exactly what the trua is. Is it this, um, is it the wail that women wail amongst themselves at the time when they weep? Or is it a sigh that one sighs time after time when one's heart is worried about a big thing? So there are two kinds of sounds that this tru'ah could be. It's either a sound that's coming out of a weeping, something that apparently is, 
is more akin to a, a feminine behavior, at least that's the way the rubber monk says it, for weeping. It's a cry of sadness. Or is it something that is a sign of a sign and a sign of anxiety, of being worried, of being nervous, of being scared? Fear and sadness are very different emotions. We, we you know we often put negative emotions in one, like anger, fear, uh, sadness, all in the same sort of bucket of negative emotions. But they're very different. And the idea of what is the sound of fear as opposed to what is the sound of distress, the sound of sadness. So that, according to the Rabbah, is what is the true art? It is clearly supposed to demonstrate that experience of, of either fear or sadness, but we don't know which it is. Or maybe it is a combination. The true art is supposed to be a combination. It's supposed to be both of them together. The sign of well, as if it was to one come off it. With, uh, so this is why the warrior is first sign in well. Hence we do all, all of them. So we have a tikiya. Tikiya, everyone agrees. It's this long blast. And we're not going to go into too much depth as to why it goes tikiya, something in tikiya, why it's every, um, well, we just talk about is that the, the, the pasuk comes elsewhere and says, Tavviru Shofar, it says that the, the tikiya, the word tikiya should go over, should pass over. So the way it's understood in the Talmud is that it should be covered that each of the tuluahs should be bracketed. So since the Rambam says we have these two ideas of what a, tiki, a, a true art could be, it could be the wail of sadness and, and weeping, or it could be the sound of distress and anxiousness and, 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 and nerves. And those two sounds are very different. So the one is understood to be, and I'm not sure which is which, and my sense is the weeping is what we would call a true art which is the nine short blast, do, 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 which is supposed like, I suppose, when someone is hysterically crying and they, they, they're not even breathing. So you have it, I suppose, that someone's laughing hysterically or crying hysterically, but they can't even breathe and, and, and they get caught up. And that is the sound that it's supposed to personify. Uh, Whereas the other kind of true art is something that is much more a deep inhale. <laughs> and, and that's what we call shmarin. Meaning that there is no such thing as a shvarim. The, the, the word shvarim doesn't exist in the realm of blowing the shofar. What exists is truah, but we don't know what a truah is. And is a truah the one kind, like the sign heaving, or is it the staccato? And we don't know. So what we're going to do is we're going to do three different sets of three different kinds. We're going to have three times we're going to do the truah, the, the staccato. And three times we're going to do what the, the deep breaths that we are going to call shvarim. Shvarim means broken up. It's a broken up tikiya. And three times you're going to build, put them together. And that's what invariably lands up being the blowing of the shofar. Is that we have all these kind of blows. We have, you know, three times just shvarim. Three times just truah. Three times shvarim truah. And, and we put them all together. And those are the basic mitzvah. So when you look at this, uh, you know, this mitzvah, what seems to be from the Rambam is that the idea of hearing the shofar is to connote distress, either distress of, of pain and sadness or distress of anxiety and worry. But it's 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 supposed to evoke within us something a, a negative emotion. It is not the sound of joy. So and we do see the shofar. They blow the shofar on Rosh Chodesh along with the trumpets. We blow the shofar when we you know conquer Jericho. The blowing of the shofar on, on the Yom Kippur, interestingly,
joy of releasing of slaves will be released. There's a concept of a shofar of joy, but the shofar that you blow in Rosh Hashanah is not a shofar of joy. It is a shofar of distress. So here we are on, on Rosh Hashanah. It is Yom Hadin. Yom Hadin is one of uh, um, judgment that is standing in front of Hashem. And uh, we give him an accounting. When you, if you look at what Rosh Hashanah is, when you compare it to, say, Yom Kippur, and the 10 days of repentance in between, um, Rosh Hashanah is, you, 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 you do your tax return. You know, there's just no, there's no hiding the figures anymore. You made this amount of income, you spent this amount of money, and you made a profit, you made a loss. That's it. At this point in time, you, you, can't, you can't really swing it. You can't really fudge the numbers it is it is what it is it's too late to make strategy change it's too late to to sell stock off or to do whatever it is it's, it's too late the clock is ticked over um, so the uh, you get your uh, and that's what Roshun is is that okay what, what do you have to account so that is the distressing sound of the Shofar but what's interesting is we read a little bit right in the Rambam now the Rambam just to give you a little bit of perspective, exactly how the Rambam sort of uh, structures his laws, is he... When the Rambam stru structures his laws, he divides them up into uh, categories of, uh, of different festivals and different, different ideas. So you have, you have laws on Shabbat and laws on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah and then laws on damages and etc. etc. Marriage, divorce, all of that so you would think that the laws of Shofar would all be in the laws of Rosh Hashanah. And that's what we just quoted, that the sound of this Teruah, that is the broken sound, is the sad sound, uh, are brought in the laws of Shofar. But elsewhere in the Rambam, he also quotes the laws of Shofar, but he quotes it from a completely different uh, context. So this is the Rambam in what is called the laws of repentance. So the laws of repentance have nothing to do with Rosh Hashanah, it has to do purely with how a person repents. Now, repentance in Hebrew is teshuvah. Teshuvah comes from the root shuv, to return. I suppose to repent is to come back. And it's largely focused on what we call in modern day, let's uh, say, soccer terminology, is self-development, self-improvement, uh, maximizing your potential in the life. And it's the ability of an individual to be able to look at themselves in the mirror and realize who they are, who they're not, and how they're going to improve. And that's what we call teshuvah. And that is the period leading up to Rosh Hashanah and between Rosh Hashanah and Rosh So the Rambam in the laws of repentance, again, this has nothing to do with the laws of, uh, of Shofar. This has nothing to do with the laws of Rosh Hashanah. But it says as follows. Rosh Hashanah so it says, even though blowing the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah is done in what's called Gzerta Katu. Gzerta Katu is we do it because the Torah says do it. That's the only reason we do it. There's no real... Um, Hashem doesn't tell us why we need to blow the shofar. He just says blow the shofar. He says that even though we do it because that's what we're told to do, there is a hint. There's, there's something more to it. And this is what I was talking about earlier called the, the kuma mitzvah. What is the feeling? Klomar. It says as if it is saying, Wake up, you sleepers from your slumber. And all those that have fallen, you know, of a uh, Fallen asleep or uh, lying down, get up. 
Look at your deeds, do a self-accounting and return to Hashem. Those who have forgotten the truth through the passages of time and waste time consistently on nothing. Things that will really make no difference. Insert here, and I'm as guilty as everybody else, insert here Facebook, insert here YouTube, insert here Netflix, insert here Ichweis, whatever it is that we waste time. None of this is going to help. Take a serious look into your soul. You can be better, improve. And all ways are in That is what the shofar is supposed to be. It is supposed to be a metaphysical alarm clock to wake you up from your slumber. So, comes Rosh Hashanah, and we hear this, this and, and, and this is what he means when you have this voice of distress. It's supposed to be someone like grabbing you by the shoulders and shaking you and saying, wake up. Come on, like, how much longer are you going to waste your life? There's so much to do in this world. You've got to get up. And that is what the shofar is supposed to be. So it's not a matter of just listening to the noise or hearing the voice and, uh, and somehow uh, saying, ah, shofar, Rosh Hashanah, or even worse, saying, shofar, alarm clock. But rather, the sound of the shofar is something that's supposed to penetrate into the kishkas of one's soul and to be able to awaken you to say, I can do different, I can do better. That is the goal of the shofar. It is supposed to be a distressing sound. No one wants to change. Um, so I, 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 I'm consistently told by my children, every time I have a haircut, then I'm going bored. Now, I've been going bored for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and I'd like to think I've still got something on top, but there's no question um, the scalp is growing great, you know, consistently. And yet, every time my kids say to me, oh, Abba, you're going bored, there's like a little part of me which is like, you know, like it gets a little bit down. Now, I know it. It's, this is not, this is, it's not a state secret. Um, everybody around me knows it. But I'm like, there's a part of me that I want to pretend that I'm not. Um, call it my vain side, call it my ego, call it what you want. But there's part of me that when someone points it out and says, geez, you've gone bored, it's like, it hurts. Even though I know it's true. But when, when, when the truth hits you, it hurts. It's painful. And that's what the shofar is supposed to be. So that's true on something so superficial as losing hair. Imagine something really deep. It's like, you're really not a good person here. You really are, you don't give enough tzedakah. You haven't been patient with people. You haven't been kind. You haven't been generous with your time. You haven't been understanding. You haven't been compassionate. You know, you like to carry yourself in a certain way. And you're really not all those things. You are an imposter. You're an absolute imposter. If everyone knew Sharper the mirror, 
the more it shows you all the blemishes. So I don't know what my face looks like until I look into the mirror. And then I realize I've got a pimple, I've got a wrinkle, I've got a this, I've got a hair out of place, whatever the case might be. The shock of the mirror, they have there because you do look like it. You just didn't know that you look like it. So all the mirror does, it shows you who you are. It doesn't show you who you're not. It doesn't present you in a way that is better. It just presents you who you are. And the shofar is supposed to present you who you are. Okay? So that is the goal of the sound of the shofar. So, let's uh, just take a little step back now, because the um, the shofar itself we blow. So I mentioned we blow it, uh, it lands up being 30 times. So it's the three times of tikiya shvarim, what, tikiya shvarim tura tikiya, that's it. Then another 10 times tikiya shvarim tikiya, and then another tikiya shua tikiya. Okay, those are the, we do that. But we do it twice. We do it once just before Musaf, so that when we say the, uh, the psalm seven times and we do the Shofar, and we do it. Then we do it again right at the end of the service. Um, if you are a different Musaf, so I think Chabad do it this way, and Svarad and Svaradin, during Musaf, they actually do it during the silent Musaf. We do it in the repetition of Musaf, so after we get to, uh, so we do the first blessing of the repetition of Adam, and we do Tikiya Shvarim Shua, Tikiya Shvarim, Tikiya Shua. And then we do it after the second part of the Malkiyot, Zephanot, and Shofarot. We do it three times. And then right at the end of the service, we do a final 40 blasts to make up 100 blasts. Now, like Shofar, like so many other areas of uh, Jewish life, is to cover a lot of different bases and different opinions, and we want to make sure we cover all the different opinions. But the Talmud comes and explains that there's actually a reason that we blow at two separate junctures in the the service before, before the Amidah of Musa and during the Amidah of Musa. So it's going to make a sheet and it says as follows. Okay. So Gemara says as follows. I'm already Yitzhak. I'm talking about Rosh Hashanah. So Rebbe Yitzhak says, why do we blow the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah? Why do we blow the Shofar? Rahman Amatikul. Why do we blow the shofar? Is the shofar? Is the shofar? Is the shofar? What kind of question? Rabbi Yitzhak says, no, no, what I mean is, Lama Merihim. Why do we blow the Torah? So the Torah says, what do you mean? Why do we blow the Torah? Merihim. Rahman Amaz, the Torah. Because it says, blow the Torah. Like, and I don't understand your question. You asked me, why do you say the Torah says so? Rabbi Yitzhak and then we blow again, the Tikiyan Shurim again, we do it after Musa. Like, why do we, why do we blow it twice? So the Gemara says, ah, oh, well, that's a good question. Why do we blow it? So it says, Kedela Arbe Pasatan. In order to confuse the Satan. So if you thought that Jews and Tikiyan in Satan, you'd be mistaken. There's no question. What we, when we say Satan or Satan, we don't think of anything like what the Christians say. There is a concept of Satan which we'll explain shortly, but it's to confuse the Satan. What is the satan? I don't know, but we see a few times through the year that we do things to confuse the satan. In fact, throughout the month of Elul that we now, we blow the shofar every morning to remind us that Rosh Hashanah is around the corner, except for every Rosh Hashanah. Why? To confuse the satan. To confuse the satan. What on earth is confusing the satan? So the Gemara elsewhere says as follows. Amar Reish Lakish. 
says Reish Lakish. Now let me give you a little bit of history of Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish was a, was a highway, he was a robber. And he met, uh, he, he robbed this individual named Rebbe Yochanan. And Rebbe Yochanan, you know, had a chat with him. He said, listen, you, you're too good for this. Come, you know. Uh, Rebbe Yochanan was a very good looking man. He said, Reish Lakish said, well, you know, I've, never, I've never held up such a good looking man before. So he says, you think I'm good looking, you should see my sister. Tell you what, come back with me to the yeshiva. And, uh, you know, you study and you can marry. You know, that's a little bit of the story of Rash Lakish. So Rash Lakish has been around the block a bit. So he says as follows. Who are Satan? Who are Yetzara? Who are Malach Amavit? Understand that there are three separate concepts within Judaism, which are all the same idea. They manifest in different ways, but it is the exact same concept. Satan, the Yetzara, which I mentioned many of her, the evil inclination, and the Malach Amavit, and the angel of death. And it quotes verses exactly how he proves it. What he means is, is that the concept of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, the, the little good angel and bad angel sitting on a person's shoulder, the bad angel the, the, and the Satan, these are all the same things. That the Yetzirah in Judaism, the evil inclination, is not a concept of um, some evil force forcing you to do something, trying to get you to uh, break halakha, trying to get you to go against your better world, like a real devil. The Yetzirah is something that Hashem has created within us in order to allow us to grow. In order to succeed in life, you need resistance. And the resistance that we have is the Yetzirah. The resistance we have on a communal level, meaning not my resistance, but our resistance, is usually referred to as the Satan. The Satan is not an external force coming to cause us to fail. It's an internal force causing us to grow. That's what the Yetzirah is. So when I say I've got a Yetzirah for, uh, for sleeping, and I don't want to get up in the morning, that whole idea is that it's sleep is, I have to overcome it if I want to grow. If I want to be able to be everything I can be, I need to overcome my Yetzirah. That is what the concept of the Satan is. The Satan is something holding us back, not, God forbid, saying that God is sending us this, this force to say, I want you to fail, but rather Hashem is sending us this force because He wants us to grow. He's, is the resistance band that allows us to spiritually develop our personalities. So that is what this whole concept of the Yetzirah. But the blowing of the shofar is in a to confuse the satan. Okay, so just hold that for a second. So I mentioned that we blow the shofar before we blow the shofar after, and we blow it all the time standing, sitting, we, we blow it. How many blows do we do? So if you count them all together, you'll get to a hundred so this comes, and why do we blow it hundreds specifically? So this comes from a book, I'll put another translation for this. It's an early commentary. We're talking here, this over a thousand years ago, this commentary was written. And he says as follows. We cannot alone to the body shloshim bamida, the kayim shloshim yeshiva. There's 30 in the beginning and 30 at the, in, the, in the repetition of Amida, and another, and another 30, another like 40 at the end. So we get the hundred altogether. And why is it? In order to get to the 100 cries that Sisra's mother cried. Okay, so there was a woman named, well, we don't know what her name, but there was a guy named Sisra, and Sisra had a mother, and she cried, and apparently she cried 100 times. Okay, so now we're going to go through a little bit of Midrashic understanding behind this. this so, in the book of Shofim, so we have the Chumash, ends with 
Moshe passing away. The next book comes is Yehoshua. Yehoshua leads us into the land of Israel, conquers the land, divides up the land into the tribes. Then we go into the period of Judges. In the book of Judges, there are a number of different judges. The one that we're going to focus on is Devorah, the, one, the first female judge that we know of. And Devorah wages a battle against a, an evil leader of Ammon, if I'm not mistaken, named Sisra. And Devorah and Barak, who was a right-hand man, they wage war against Sisra, and they, they round, completely round. And Sisra flees. And trying um, to flee, he hides in a tent of a woman named Yael Hakeini. So Yael, the story goes, Yael takes him, you know, he comes into the tent. He's a, he's a very prominent leader. He comes in with a sword, threatens Yael, you know, and she she takes him in, she feeds him, she gives him some something something that he forces him to, some sedative, whether it's oil or cheese, whatever it has to be, and he falls asleep. And she goes and takes a tent peg and she drives it through uh, through uh, Sisra's head. And then when Devorah and Barak are running through, you know, looking for where this evil uh, king has gone, uh, Yael comes out and she says, you know, I- I've got what you're looking for. And they see that Sisra is dead. So after that battle, um, Devorah writes a song. We read the song on a couple of Hatsarot during the year. It's Shirat Devorah. And she tells a story of this great victory in battle. But this is a, the verse that comes. Uh, so the Torah starts singing about how blessed is the woman Yael, the wife of Chembekeh, most blessed woman in tents. He asked for water, she offered milk. Now, the Torah wasn't there. The Either she's saying this through prophecy or through Yael telling her story, but she's singing of the great valor of Yael. So she brought in curds, he left she, and she reached for a tent peg. In a right in a right of the workman's hammer, she struck Sisera, crushed his head, smashed and pierced his tent. The crack. At her feet he sank, lay upstretched, and her feet he sank, lay still. Where he sank there, he lay destroyed. Cut. So that's where we see Yael kills Sisera. Now listen to Tavora now is either through prophecy or just through imagery. Tells the following story. And I want to go. I'm going to go into the Hebrew here because it's important. Ba'at ha'chalon mishkafa. Out of the window looked out. Ba'itiyabayv ay sisra ba'ad ha'eshna. And sisra's mother from behind the window lattice cried out. Ba'itiyabayv. Just remember that word. Ba'itiyabayv. It sounds like she cried, she wailed, she did something. Madu'a boshish rikbo lavo. Madu'a echru pamei malkuta. She's like looking at her watch, she's like, Where, where's my son? Why hasn't he come back from the battle? So all the women that are around her, maybe the daughter-in-laws, maybe the daughter, are saying, don't worry. You know why he's taking so long? He's dividing up the booty. They're all talking about spoiled dark plots for Sisera. It, it's just, that's what they all are. They're all perishing. They're, they're all just vanquishing the evil Israelites. But Sisera's mother stands out and looks at her watch and is hit with a very sinking feeling, an anxiety, a panic, and a fear, and a worry that this time he's not coming home. And that's the song that Devorah says. She tells about this mother, Sisra, that Sisra is, is 
looking out the window, hoping that her son, but deep down she knows he's not coming back this time. So you look at this word tiyabe, that is the verb of the emotion of the experience of what Sisra's mother is. So tiyabe is not a Hebrew word, it's an Aramaic word. So if you recall, this is the verse I quoted at the beginning. Of the first of the seventh month, you can call it Yelachem the moment you should want to work. Your Trua Yelachem. It should be a day of Trua. So when that's translated into Aramaic, so the main commentary on every one of your Kumashim, when you open up, there's an Aramaic commentary called Ulkulas. And he translates it. What is a Yom Trua Yelachem? Yom Yevava Yelachem. Yevava, that is Tiyabei. It is the wailing of Sisra's mother. That's when it says that the hundred notes that you blow in Shofar are the hundred notes that Sisra's mother cried. Why? Because the word Yavayim is a truth. It's a cry. So let's try to bring this whole thing together. The blowing of the Shofar is to confuse the Satan, to confuse the Yetzirah. What is the Yetzirah? It is that internal part that tells us not to believe who we are. To deny who we really are. And Sisra's mother, when she cries, she realized the truth that she didn't want to accept. That all this time she's looking, she's hoping that he's out there vanquishing. She's hoping that he's, he's plundering the spoil. But deep inside she knows that he's not. That is what it means, Satan, to confuse that the shofar is supposed to penetrate and rid us of our Yetzirah. To be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, who are you? Who am I? I have to stop pretending, allowing myself to don myself in externalities. The externalities of dress, the externalities of false piety, the externalities of being pleasant, of being polite, of being superficial, and realize of who I really am. That is what the shofar is. The shofar is there to get rid of the vanities of externalities. And ironically, one of the greatest externalities we have on Rosh Hashanah is a shofar where the tikkiah is never heard. You know, if, if, if you don't have the opportunity of hearing the shofar this year, it doesn't mean you can't hear the shofar. It just means you have to actually listen for the shofar. If you have a shofar, the, you run the risk of hearing the notes, listening to the noise, but never hearing the message. So sometimes you need the shofar to be taken away to be able to hear the message of the shofar. So that when the shofar comes back, you can hear the message along with the notes. And so that is the key of understanding that this, this way to be not, it, it's not a, a paralyzing fear. It's a fear of acknowledging that we can be better. We can awaken from our slumber, like the Rambam said. And that is what the notes of the Shofar is there to do for us. It is there to awaken us from our slumber. So that is where, you know, let's say for, to end for this, uh, this evening, this afternoon, as the case would be for me, is to allow the note that we hear, or even more so, the note that we don't hear. In fact, you know, Rosh Hashanah, it's not unusual to not hear a Shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Um, every Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat, we don't hear the Shofar. We don't blow Shofar on Shabbat. So it's not uncommon to not hear a Shofar. But whether you are going to practically hear it or you are not going to actually hear it, 
and then you hope that there's an opportunity to, to listen to the messages of the Shofar and hopefully be able to internalize them and uh, make some changes. Yeah. All right, everybody. So to that point here now, Recording I'll now allow you the opportunity to unmute yourself. Spotify. If anyone would like to ask a question or say something, please. 